welcome to the Joan Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Vittengel. Joan is a place of truth and connection, a place to discuss mental health, trauma, struggle, and the many difficulties brought to us in life. Through my own journey, I struggled to open up with others about my difficult life experiences. But once I did, I began to see that everyone is on their own journey in one way or another. This podcast has taught me so much, but most importantly, it has taught me that vulnerable connection through storytelling is one of the most powerful ways that we heal ourselves, heal each other, and thus heal the world. I'm so honored that the guests of this show have trusted me to bring their stories to you. And so I hope you enjoy the second season of Joan. Welcome back to Joan. Today, I'm speaking with my friend, Vienda Maria, who is an amazing, unbelievably worldly cultured woman. Um, She's a writer. She's a coach for women, um, amongst so many other things. And we dive into her teenage depression. We we dive into her her, um, suicidal thoughts. We also really, really dive into um, into family stuff. So we talk about um, the kind of mental and mental and emotional abuse that she experienced from her stepdad. Uh, we really go into the mother daughter relationship and and how um, challenging that dynamic can be. And we also really get into into um, boundaries and uh, how to create boundaries with a toxic parent. So if you uh, experience that or have experienced that, this is um, this is a great episode. And Vienda is just so knowledgeable. She has a degree in psychology and has been working um, with humans for, for so long. She just uh, has a really beautiful perspective on all of this. So I hope that you love this episode. It is the last guest episode of season two. Um, the next episode is my own quick little solo episode with a little life update. So um, so I hope that you enjoy this episode. And so I guess we can just hop right in. I'm so excited to have you on. Um and so I'm speaking with my friend Vienda Maria, who we met through Anushka, actually. We met at um, one of her goddess gatherings, and Anushka was on season one. Her episode's amazing. Um, and so you seemed like an obvious person to have on for season two um, for many reasons. I recently read your your beautiful article that you wrote about your relationship with your mother, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think that I, I'd love to, I mean, I'm just so curious because I don't think I've ever really fully heard or understood your story and kind of how you've um, sort of, how your life has sort of unraveled into the lifestyle that you that you lead. Because I think that a lot of people really dream about kind of living this sort of very free, uh, nomadic in some ways life that you lead, you Mm -hmm. know, like a lot of people really dream about that, but don't feel like it's possible. And I know that you, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you introduce yourself actually? (laughs) 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 Thank you so much for having me here as well. So hi, I'm Vienda. It's lovely to meet you. I. I feel like I don't like saying like what work you do because that's just something that you do. So I'd rather say um, 
I was born in Salzburg in Austria and I'm half Italian, half Austrian, but I've lived all over the world due to all sorts of circumstances in the first part of my life by chance because that's how my family dynamic turned out and the second part so far by choice (laughs) because that felt like a really natural expression of who I am and the way that I like to live life and um, I think because I came from such an unusual and unhealthy in many ways family dynamic my highest value and priority was always freedom freedom Mm -hmm. in every possible way and so then it became kind of a focal point for me like how can I create freedom and how can I redefine how life can be lived in a really embodied way by just choosing something different and experimenting with what's possible and trying new things so you, um, for, I'd love for you to touch on quickly, and then we're going to dive into kind of like childhood and start from there, which is our favorite place to start. <laughs> um, I'd love for you to explain, I guess, what it is that you do for your financials. Like, cause you, I mean, you do, you serve the community. Do you, do you ever work with men? Or do you work? Do you work primarily with women? Primarily with women. It's rarely, rarely that I have a male client. I just prefer when working with women because I enjoy the language and the way that we can interact. And I'm not as skilled and confident in being able to express myself in a way that's really absorbable by men in the way that yeah. they need to receive information. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. So would you, how would you describe what it is that you do? Um, like how it is that you help women? Mm. I work as a writer and a creative and a mentor with mm. a few different things. So my intention is always again to like offer a new perspective of how we can redefine life. We often are served this with this served with this very limited concept of what life looks like and how we can understand what it means and so through storytelling through writing I attempt through my own experiences to share a new perspective a fresh experience a new way to look at things or connect the dots and also a way for people to see themselves and their challenges and their shame and their fears in someone else's story because when we share all this stuff and bring it up into the open that's how we heal it and how we clear it and when we also recognize that we're not alone that changes a lot and then I have a psychology degree a background in psychology and I work with women one-on-one in mentoring programs that run for about three to six months depending on what we decide where we work on usually I mean that's the interesting thing you're always going to attract people who see themselves in you so they see some of their story and then you can work through like the the trauma that they might have experienced as a child and the fears and the doubts and the things that they've had to navigate so that they can create so firstly so they can free themselves from all of that dogma and 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 those belief systems and patterns and secondly so they can make new choices and then take action towards those choices in their everyday life and then on top of that I also sell online courses. So I often notice that there's one specific thing that clients keep 
needing to work through and instead of teaching it over and over and over again I just create a course around it yeah yeah amazing um so uh what has I do want to jump into childhood but really quickly um I guess to start out I guess as my own personal curiosity because I know that you've you've I want to know like really basic level what what is it within mental health I don't even really like using that label because I, because, and I've explained this, you know, in prior episodes, but it just feels like it just, again, it feels like a label when we're all going, when we're all having such a different experience of life Mm -hmm. and, um, and especially life these days, like not even just 2020. I mean, you know, for our whole lives, like we're learning that we're learning so much about emotional trauma and and the way in which trauma affects um, the body and the mind and um, and just that we're kind of living in we've been living in this really kind this really emotionally illiterate world um, that has valued kind of all of the wrong things and that's really coming to a head especially right now. Mm. But within your life, if we're going to use the term mental health, what has been just really short answer, like your experience with it? Did, have you, have you, I know that your mom, your mom deals with it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and have you dealt with it? I have definitely suffered from anxiety and depression at certain points in my life due to specific circumstances. And then, I mean, it's really, really common that everyone experiences some low level of depression from time to time yeah um so for me personally it's anxiety and depression that that have sort of been the most challenging and then for sure in my own life I've experienced mental health issues within my family amongst friends amongst um and more recently the child of a friend so it's so much more common than I think people admit or give recognition to and it should be something and again like you said it's not about mental health it's about recognizing that we have all these subtle differences in the way that we experience life and our needs are different and the way that we need to navigate and negotiate life needs to be honored a lot more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah exactly that's exactly it um, okay, so let's jump into your life. So you were born in Austria, right? Should we start there? Let's start there. Um, <laughs> I was born in Austria. My mom fell in love with this cute little Italian man. And I say little because he's my height and I'm not that tall. So <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when she went to a party one day and she just decided she wanted to have his baby. <laughs> and... Um, I came along not that long after, but he was a bit of a, uh, from what I understand, because I don't have that much of a memory of him and he died when I was 10 in a car accident. Um, he was just a bit of a wild card, really. <laughs> and so I was born in Salzburg, Austria, but we lived all over Europe for the first four or five years of my life. I remember living on the Canary Islands, on Tenerife, I remember living in Portugal and in Italy where his family were and also in Austria and traveling around a lot. And that was just part of our life and our lifestyle. And then when I was six years old and they split up, I think when I was about three or four, when I was six years old, my mom married someone. So they were never married. 
and she married a German man in Austria who she'd met in Austria and then they decided to move to Australia and this man actually adopted me because that's what she really wanted so you know there's this young innocent he was 25 years older than her so there's this young innocent woman who's got a child who's probably just been through a bit of a challenging experience with the father of her child um feeling quite insecure and uncertain and not having a secure source of income which makes such a difference on the way that women make decisions because they have to make decisions based on survival instead of what is right for them and uh, yeah so she married this much older man i think for a sense of safety and security because he he was able to provide and he seemed so stable and all of these things and she requested that he adopt him as part of <laughs> that he adopt me as part of their relationship which he did mm-hmm. um but he became increasingly more and more aggressive and abusive verbally and emotionally to me which was of course really difficult for her but she felt like she had no power in that situation and so and I this was, was sorry, like how long was this going on for for the entirety of their marriage, so eight years. Oh, wow. Wow. But I was fortunate enough to be able to, I would spend summers with my mom and then summers in, in Australia and then summers in Europe with either my Austrian grandparents or my Italian grandmother and her family. So I spent my entire childhood essentially like flying back and forth across the globe between different family members because it was such a difficult situation. And of course I wanted to be with my mom, but I didn't want to be with her husband. And mm. yeah, it was, it was quite hard. And she had two children with him who, when she divorced him, he made her life so, so difficult that she ended up giving him sole custody and never got to see them again, which is just so heartbreaking. Wow. Um, um and then I mean that was basically my childhood like back and forth between family members and my mom and like seeing her go through so many challenges and also finding really unhealthy difficult coping mechanisms where she would lash out because I just don't think she had access to support or she knew how to ask for help or she knew how to receive help it was just it was all so hard for her and then witnessing that as the her daughter and then also being at the um can you say backlash of it Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. was also hard because I'm like ah I don't feel safe here like I don't I don't understand this and it's really interesting of course all of all of this led me to want to study psychology because I was like I don't understand what's going on here and I feel like this is going to help interesting and and it did, it really did in many ways, not in the ways that I thought it would, but it gave me so much insight into human behavior and personal development. And of course, as part of mm-hmm. the degree, I had to go into therapy, which was such a helpful thing. And alongside that, I started discovering psychedelics, so plant medicines that I experimented with quite heavily during that time. And that was incredibly healing for all of my challenges and trauma. And I completely changed as a person over those four years with all of those things happening that really supported me in my growth and in my healing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So how did your, so you, your stepdad was with you roughly until you were 14. Is that right? Or not with oh, you, right. with your mom, but yeah. in your life. Yeah. Um, so then from there, wh- where were you roughly at that age? Um, when I was, what happened when he left or what, 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 whatever happened there? When she left him, I was with her. Okay. Okay. And we were in Australia and, um, I mean, we moved maybe a couple of hours away from where he was living because at first she still wanted, she was, she still had access to the children while the divorce was sort of taking place. And, um, I was in that really awful teenage stage where I like hormones were crazy. I didn't feel safe and secure. I didn't understand what was going on. I couldn't understand why my mom was behaving the ways that she was just, I couldn't, you know, I, I was, I had the brain of a child trying to become an adult and nothing made sense. And I actually begged her because I just wanted to leave. I begged her to let me be an exchange student to the States. And so when I was 14, when I was 15, I left for a year, which was so good for me. <laughs> because I needed to get out of that situation. I just couldn't be there. It was, it, I couldn't understand. I, I wasn't getting the support I needed as a, as a teenager and she wasn't able to be there. She just wasn't there. She, I was, mm-hmm. I was pretty much alone. So for most of, I would say I was quite alone for most of my childhood because even though she was present in body, she wasn't present with me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because so much of where I, you know, I, I think a lot, I'm, I'm hesitant to say like that everyone knows this, but so much of like our mental health experiences stem from trauma and trauma is kind of a buzzword at the moment, but it, it people are really, really realizing how much, um, you know, these emotional kind of experiences, even if there was nothing physical happening, you know, there was no like physical abuse or sexual abuse. Um that one can still be affected or, or just, just like a parent not giving you the, the emotional attention that you needed as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious when, um, do you remember like when you ever had anxiety or depression for the first time? Like when did that start to manifest? Like when did your trauma start to manifest in that way? Mm-hmm. I would say that I was low level depressed for my entire teens. So Mm. from 13 onwards and just painfully self-aware and uncomfortable and feeling really disconnected and sad all the time. But I didn't know what it was. I just thought, and what everyone kept telling me was like, it's just your hormones. You're just a teenager. This is normal. Mm. But I don't think it was. I really don't because it affected me on every level of my life. I just didn't feel like I could be myself. I didn't even know who I was. And then mm. I would say when it hit me the hardest, both depression and anxiety was after I finished university, after I finished all the therapy and I did all the things and I had this sort of gap between the next thing and that where I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I went to visit my mom and 
saw her situation, how she was living and how she was experiencing life. And it just plummeted me into this horrible, horrible space where I couldn't, I felt like I was not even in my body. I couldn't do anything with my life. I was, I just wanted, I wanted life to end. I just wanted it all to end. I was like, I, I just, I'm done with this. I'm so done with this. And I remember this moment where I was like, okay, well, if I'm done with it, the logical thing is suicide. And I'm like, okay, how do you do this? And I'd have this, like, had this thought. And I was like, wow, I don't even have the strength to kill myself. Like, I literally can't do it. I, I'm like, not only am I failing at life, I'm also failing at trying to kill myself. <laughs> and in that moment, I was just like, what? is wrong with me I just don't understand Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and with that depression was like these moments of I remember having I've only ever had one panic attack and it was just it was like before a really massive exam just before I finished university Mm -hmm. it was like the the stress and everything it all got to me and I remember like sitting in one of the computer rooms in at school like starting to shake and feeling really, really weird and not understanding what was going on and sort of taking myself out into sort of a wooded area with some grass so I could be alone and lying there and literally thinking I was dying. <laughs> Just like, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. I think this yeah. is it. Like, this is it. I think I'm dying right now. <laughs> and it's probably because I'm so familiar with that feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's it's terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. Um, okay, so there's a few moving parts here. So there was the combination of your stepdad's. You said um, what emotional abuse was there? Physical abuse as well? No physical at all, but verbal and emotional. So really manipulative, really speaking down to me all the time, making fun of me, making fun of different body parts. Like just, it was constant. Yeah. And did you internalize that? It's really interesting. I remember being about seven or eight years old and him screaming at me that talking to me is like talking to a wall. And Mm. I remember thinking, I know because that wall is there to protect me. And it was almost like I had somehow instinctively known how to build this energetic separation between him and me and I think it was really helpful also that he wasn't my dad that he was my stepdad so I could be like this Mm. is some weird man and this has nothing to do with me so I was able to separate myself from that which is really really good but I wasn't able to separate myself from my mother's behavior which was that she never she was complicit in that she never stood up for me, never did anything to support me, never was like, this is wrong, you can't treat my daughter like that. So I kind of was like, this man is evil, but my mom is not being my mom. She's not here for me. Yeah, yeah. So this is interesting because I think that one of the most complicated relationships in our lives, for a lot of women that I know, I know certainly for me, is that mother-daughter relationship. <laughs> and um and so I'd love to know kind of the interworking, the inner workings of that and how that kind of, um, and, and, and how, because it, it was how long ago since you've spoken to her? Six years. Okay. 
So how did your relationship pan out from, so you, you, you know, you mentioned your teen years, you went to the US and then you went to school. Where did you go to, where did you go to university? In Australia. So I, I went to the States, then I came back to Australia and finished high school. Then I went traveling for a couple of years in Europe and spent some time with my Australian and Italian families. Mm -hmm. Um, and then one day when I was living in London, actually, I was working for a film editing company in Soho. It was a very fancy job. I loved it. (laughs) I was like, it's so cold. It's December or something or January. It's so cold. And I don't want to work as a assistant in a film editing company for the rest of my life. Like, what do I want to do? And I made this decision that I wanted to go to (laughs) university to study psychology in the hottest place I could find and there's a university in Cairns in far north Queensland which is where the Great Barrier Reef is that I applied for and got into and so that's where I ended up which is actually amazing because it's in the middle of the jungle this gorgeous just piece of the piece of the world that still felt quite separate at least back then because it's wow. more than 15 years amazing ago. yeah it was a very very special place so from university, you studied psychology and how did you, like, what happened, what happened from there? And what was your contact with your mother like mm-hmm. kind of at that time? I, as soon as I was old enough, so from 16 on, I avoided spending large amounts of time with her because I just noticed that the quality of my life completely changed when she was around me. It was really it's hard to describe. It's almost like she had some poison, like bad things would happen (laughs) when I was around her and everything was really good when I wasn't. So uh, I saw her very rarely, maybe like once a year for a few days. And we Mm -hmm. talk on the phone maybe once a week, but it wasn't like a conversation. We'd get on the phone and then she would like just, dump all of her emotional stuff on me and I would sometimes literally put the phone on the bed and walk away for 20 minutes come back to see if she's still talking walk away again (laughs) because I was like I can't can't hold this for her I don't have the capacity to hold this for her but I also don't have the ability to say no because I don't know how to I don't know how to say no to this wow so how long did so how long was that relationship going on for like the in the way in which that relationship was functioning like that how long was that how long did that go on for um probably so from 16 until I was 23 so what's that six okay. years yeah yeah and then when I finished my degree and I went to stay with her while I was figuring out what I wanted to do next that's when I was like look I've just like learned all these things I'm supposed to be able to help people I can help her I can like fix this relationship make her happy and everything's going to be great but it didn't work we went to counseling together we went to you know we tried lots of different things and she was really unresponsive and she felt like she wasn't being seen and met by the people that we tried working with and um wasn't able to be she wasn't receptive to the help that was being offered to her and so we just ended up in this dead end yeah where she was yeah just like quite 
continued to be quite verbally abusive to me because she felt that I was attacking her and that I was telling her that she wasn't good enough and all sorts of things, like just projecting all of her paranoia and fears and all sorts of things that weren't even true onto me. And I didn't know how to handle that. I was like, it's not true. And she wouldn't believe me. And I'm like, I don't know what else to do or say about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A bit of a random interjection here. Mm -hmm. Um, What about your sibling, your half siblings? So what what happened with them? When she lost custody, she didn't see them and they chose not to contact her at all. Wow. And I did get in touch. I've never seen my little stepbrother again, but I did get in touch with my stepsister and we have somewhat of a relationship. Um, not a particularly close one, but like we do have a relationship and, and she's lovely and she's really confused about everything that happened. And I think that she could really, she would probably really need some therapy as well to deal with what's happened with her, with her dad and with our mom. And because yeah. there's just no clarity there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is so intense. Mm. Um, so I'd love for you to touch briefly on, um, I guess, because yeah basically what you what you kind of wrote you your um the article that I just read is that what I call it is that what we call it an article I don't know I call it an article um about uh where your relationship is now and has been for the past few years for your mother because again like I think it's just so important to stress how um how dynamic these mother-daughter relationships uh, can be and how much we are just so frequently working our stuff out with each other, but also how important it is for us to build and create boundaries when we need to, because I think it's one of the most difficult relationships to do that within, you know, with a, when, when the person's in our provider. So, so can you explain kind of that, that sort of, um, that time period? Mm-hmm. I'd love to. So, I mean, over the years, a few there was a few times where I was like, I can fix this, la, 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 <laughs> and it didn't work. And then when I was 33, that was the last time I saw her and the last time I tried. And I'd been, I'd just started my business, the one that I have now. And this really early days was like the first year. So I was struggling a little bit and it was difficult. And I'd just been traveling through Central America and North America for the past year and India. And I was like, okay, I need to ground a little bit. I really want this relationship with my mom to be cleared up. Like I can fix this. It's so funny looking back at it now, but I was just, I believed I could. And um, went and spent some time with her, stayed with her for, I think it was a total of four months. And I remember coming in and like making a promise to myself being like, I'm going to stay open to everything. I'm going to stay really, we're going to communicate really well. I'm going to love her so much in all the ways she's always wanted to be loved because then, then our relationship can heal and she'll be better. And I remember arriving and, you know, and there's this thing like the first three days with her are always lovely because underneath all of the mental health issues and all the trauma, she's a beautiful person. Like I think everyone is, 
and mm-hmm. and I love her. And so, like, the first few days were lovely, just so gorgeous. And then slowly, slowly, the old habits started creeping in where she would just attack me and, and say weird things that weren't true or, like, uh, accuse me of thinking or doing something that she thinks I was thinking or doing that was against her. Like, everything was about she has this belief that everyone's against her and she's always looking for evidence of that. And me having to always be like, that's not true. Like I, I, I wasn't thinking that, or I didn't say that, or that doesn't, mm-hmm. that's not what I meant or whatever, like constantly having to defend myself and then slowly shutting down, shutting down, shutting down because I'm like, oh, like anything I say or do can be taken wrong. Everything. Like there, there is no safe zone. There is no, no balance here. And, over that period of time, observing, observing, being in that situation, not reacting, but just being really present with her, really bringing a lot of my spiritual practices and my and personal development understanding into the situation, not responding, not responding, but just observing and being there with her and um, realizing that the way that she was treating me, I would never let anyone else in my entire life treat me that way. And I was like, why does my mom, even though she, I love her and she's my mother, get to do this? I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why. And then I kind of got to a point where I was like, I have, like, there is no way out uh, out of this situation. I can't help her because everything I try, she rejects or doesn't believe or can't receive or will use as an attack or, like, I just can't get through to her. I can't do this. She has uh-huh. to do it. She has to make those choices. She has to move towards this thing. I can't take responsibility for this woman anymore. And that was a big thing. I was like, I've taken responsibility for her emotions my entire life. And I've got to, like, it has to stop at some point. And this is, this is the point. This is it. I like, this is where I have to make my decision. And it was both the clearest, like most crystal clear decision and the hardest decision that I've ever had to make because I was basically becoming an orphan. That's what it felt like. I don't have parents now. She mm. was the last one and I don't have any now. But it was also the most powerfully positive, transformative thing that I could have done because mm-hmm. life from there just became so 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 much better and I realized how much of my attachment and her um, and wanting her approval and her love and her support and all of that had kept me held me back in my life Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm -hmm. it was it was big and scary and huge and also incredibly powerful and while it's. I, I think the social thing is the, diffi- the most difficult thing, like the social ideas of what, what the relationships we should have to our parents should look like was the most difficult for, thing for me, like for me to admit. Now I can talk about it, which is why I could write that article because I've moved through all of that pain and the sadness and the and the grief and everything and I'm in a really good place with it now but the shame that I had for not having a relationship with my mother and for being the one who walked away was huge huge Mm. and did she has she had a formal any formal like mental health diagnoses or is it was this always just her her trauma coming up 
She has not, she has refused. Even when I suggested that she maybe go see someone because she definitely has um, depression and anxiety. And I would say even maybe some low level schizophrenia when it comes to mm-hmm. the way that the paranoia and the way that, that, that fear of everyone's against me comes up. Um, but she, the, the only thing she did was go to see a homeopath and get some tablets, which, you know, maybe that's something, but it wasn't enough. Like she needed, she needs or needed, I don't know what's happening in her life right now. Um, some really official proper help but it's never yeah. been it's never been diagnosed it's all just her trying to handle it like I think all mental illnesses stem from I mean part of its biology like brain chemistry but part of it's also just trauma and your brain trying to find coping mechanisms to deal with that trauma yeah yeah I completely agree and it's interesting, you brought up um, a few times kind of this notion, this idea of wanting to fix her. And I think this is an important thing, important topic to talk about because I think this is really common. And I think that as we start to do work on ourselves and like begin to see the ways in which we kind of are able to upgrade in some ways our own lives through like through this work, mm. our fr- I mean, I can remember personally, like the first thing I would always jump to was like, oh my God, I can't wait to teach this to other people, or, like <laughs> show it to other people. <laughs> yeah. Thinking that you can fix other people because we can all see everyone else's problems, right? Except for our <laughs> own. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> but, um, but the other person, I mean, it's such a two-way street, mm. right? Like that, that healing, like we can hopefully reflect that back to someone. But if someone, you know, like in this instant, your mom isn't ready to receive that, mm. then um, then it doesn't go anywhere. I think <laughs> really. that's one of the most powerful lessons we can all learn, which is that we can't heal others. We can yeah. we can offer and provide a safe space for other people's healing. We can offer reflections, but we are all individually responsible for our own healing no one can heal you you can't heal anyone else we can all only do that work for ourselves but like I love that phrase that Ram Dust says which is that we're all walking each other home like in our own healing we can hold hands and reflect that back to each other and support each other through that but that's such a powerful lesson and I see it also sometimes with people who who work as coaches or psychologists or something who haven't learned the lesson and they're still trying to fix mm. others and it's dangerous because you can't, you cannot. Yeah, that's so fascinating. It must be so interesting in your work. And now that we're talking about this, this kind of work, I'd actually love to um, jump timelines again a little bit back to when you first started doing, because what were you doing up until uh, your current business model? And where were you? Like you've you've been all over the place. I mean, literally. I, I'm, I don't know if we can get into every single detail of your life because it's so there's so many layers to it. I feel, but but I think that so many people, um, especially right now, are like wanting to do their own thing or start something or live as freely as you do. And I'd love to know kind of how that originally started where were you where you were before then like what you were doing for work and then um and then how it came to what it is Mm -hmm. um I (laughs) it's a bit of a weird story but I feel like I'm one of those people where life just sort of goes like 
here, here's the next step and I follow it. And sometimes it's really random. Um, so when mm -hmm. I was at university and I started experimenting with plant medicines, there were a few sort of mm -hmm. underground festivals that happened in that area. And I got to know the producers and um, I got to know those producers and I got to know producers of other festivals. So I ended up working at a bigger festival as a volunteer um, down south in Melbourne and um, yeah, in Melbourne. And then I met some more producers there. And at that point, I'd just finished my psychology degree and I'd realized that I didn't want to be a psychologist because I didn't like the way that we had to categorize people. We couldn't look at them as individuals. We had to use the DSM-4, which was this book, this massive book of like um, categorizing people's symptoms and their expressions and going, okay, this is, this is what you have and this is your label and now this is what we're going to treat, which I felt was there was something missing, which was the individual and their background and their story. And also the spiritual aspect was totally not incorporated in that, in that mm -hmm. process. So I was like, actually, even though I've just done this, I don't want to be a psychologist anymore. And so I was like, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And this festival work came up and I was already quite, integrated in that in that it was such a wow <laughs> I'm just thinking back I'm like it's such a different world is this subculture of hippies and musicians and artists and creatives who just come together and create this tiny community that lasts for a week mm -hmm. and and that's what I did for six, seven years. I worked for festivals as a artist coordinator, which means that I would show up at a festival site maybe a month before and find out who the artists were. So that was the musicians, the DJs, the performing artists, the people who did um, like live art and all sorts of things. And I would be basically in charge of making sure that they were coming when they were meant to be coming. They knew where they need to go. They had places to sleep, la, 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 la. And then during the festival, often making sure that the performing artists were in the right places at the right times, um, which meant lots and lots of sleepless nights and lots of drugs at the time. Mm. And that's what I did. Which is, that was my job. It Sorry, go ahead. It was all over the world too, right? Like it was all over the world. So I worked at festivals in Australia, in all over Europe, Portugal, North Africa, in Japan, in the States, in Costa Rica, um, literally everywhere. And so I basically lived this life where I would work at a different festival every two to three months. And that meant that I lived in a different place every two to three months for, for those years. And then I got to a point where I was exhausted. I was just, I was tired. Oh my like, God. I, I, I cannot even imagine. I literally, like my body would not be able to do that for mm -hmm. even one month. I don't think. <laughs> That's amazing though, because you obviously like, I mean, how, how interesting, because you studied psychology and then you and then you were doing that for so long, but then you, so how did you start to kind of 
veer into what it is you're doing now? Mm. So while I was working for these festivals, I was meeting a lot of different people, like lots and lots of different people. And back then it was still kind of before Facebook. (laughs) Uh Uh Um, We would exchange emails. And I had this incredible email list of people that I met and would just connect and would keep emails because like phone numbers change all the time. And I did this thing way back, like even in 2007, 2008, where I would write a monthly email to everyone, like this massive group email to everyone in my email list, just telling them stories about what was happening in my life. And I, because I had, I've always had this um, psychology filter that I see the world through, I would be describing, I'd be describing the travels and the people and the events that I had through this perspective of human behavior and, and, philosophy and why we do the things we do and um I remember at some point I think it was like 2010 or something a few people and blogs were a new thing then like it was a new big thing a few people were like you should start a blog and I was like no I'm such a hippie I hate the internet I will never do it But then like after a year of someone saying that to me, I was like, actually, that's not a bad idea. And I did start a blog. And um, after maybe writing that blog for about a year, and by then I'd stopped working for festivals and I was kind of traveling, living off my savings. I spent six months in India being like, what do I want to do with my life? Who am I? Having a bit of an identity crisis. What is that? What age was that? Um, 26, 27, okay. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, prime, um, like prime pre-Saturn return, I guess. Yeah, it was just the beginning of Saturn return. So basically I started a blog at, at 28 on Saturn return and I started my business at 30. And so what happened was I had this blog and I was writing and writing and writing and writing. And then this woman contacted me once and she was like, I love your writing. I'm going through this really challenging crossroads in my life. Would you get on a Skype call with me? I was like, oh, weird, but sure. And we get on this call and I remember being really nervous because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but whatever, we'll just have a conversation And I realized halfway through the call that basically I was just, it was like a counseling session. What I'd been trained to do, I was basically doing what I was trained to do. I was giving her counseling the way in, like in the systematic way that I'd been taught. And then I was like, whoa, this is like interesting. And by then, I don't know why I didn't know about this. I'd never heard of life coaching. I'd never heard of mentoring before. I was just like, it just wasn't a thing that was in my field of, understanding and suddenly I started seeing it as a possibility to create a business around and and make money and and after working for festivals for so long and I'd lived so much freedom and expression and creativity and that was my entire life I knew I could never have a quote-unquote normal job again like I couldn't work in an office I knew I couldn't show up in the way that people in conventional lifestyles did I'd experienced so such such an expansive broad life already that it felt like having to squeeze myself in the tiniest little keyhole to do that and so I knew that I had to create something 
that would support me and my lifestyle. And so for me, my business has always been about creating a life that feels in alignment with my truth and the truth of what I feel is true for humans in general, not just about making having a business. The business is just, it's what supports the life as opposed to the life supporting the business. Right. Amazing. I mean, that's everyone's kind of goal, I think, in some ways. And and as I said before, it seems like, again, now more than ever, that's kind of as capitalism and all of these structures that we know are, are starting to crumble and we're starting to see the ways in which they don't serve us anymore. It's like, how can I show up in the world and make a living doing something that serves myself and other people without damaging something else, you know, because that's, um, yeah, I feel like things are just, just crazy. We are Um, at the precipice of the biggest transformation the world has gone through in a really long time. And it's such an exciting time to be here and to be a part of, but it's also like, we're all doing the work. We all have to do the work, which means looking at ourselves and examining ourselves and our choices and our actions. And like you just said, asking ourselves, like, how can I show up in the world in a way that has a positive impact rather than a negative footprint? And how can I be more true to myself and actually be that expression that I'm meant to be? Like, what is my sole purpose here? Why Why was I born here? What, 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 what am I here to bring? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that everyone's asking themselves that question. Like, I, I, I genuinely keep looking back. I'm like, thank God I have, the, like, the, the sort of, um, I guess, experience of life feeling like it's crumbling around me because I'm pretty sure if I, if I were where I was then or, like, you know, at the level of awareness or whatever you want to call it a few years ago, currently I would be having an absolute meltdown because it's hard. Like right now it it can feel really difficult some days. And, um, and I think it's a collective, like we're moving through such a crazy transition that, um, that it just shows up like every day feels like a different, experience. Like I I genuinely feel like I wake up every day and I'm like, all right, what's today going to bring? Not even, not even like, not even just in the sense of like fires or whatever, you know, there's like these memes going around on alien. Have you seen the meme of, um, the alien saying, (laughs) saying, um, fuck, Fuck, I'm nervous. (laughs) I love that meme. It makes me smile every time (laughs) because it really feels like it feels real. It feels like it's, this is where we're at right now. Right. So like, uh, like on a global level, that's kind of where we're at, which is why that's so funny. But also like on a personal level, it's like waking up every day and being like, wow, okay. It's so important actually for us to have these sort of, um, grounding exercises. I'd love to know, I know that you, you're very ritualistic in your life. And I know that just from following you on Instagram, it kind of shifts and changes a bit. Um, but I'd love to know what it is that you do, what you find to be most grounding, um, for you when you're in times of distress or when you're feeling, you know, particularly depressed or, or whatever, whatever it is. Mm. I have to say it's so boring, but it's so, it's, it's back to basics. It's always back to basics. So, um, if I'm feeling really strung out, a good meditation 
really helps right there and then mm-hmm. I have an ongoing practice which is just about being really present all the time that means like being present in this conversation being present with whatever I'm doing and I think that anchors me really strongly into myself so I'm not as impacted by the highs and lows of the ongoing external world and then basic things like have I exercised lately I probably need that mm-hmm. have I been drinking mm-hmm. enough water have I been sleeping properly? Should I go to bed earlier? Do I need to like go hug a friend? I have to say mm. basic stuff and consistently being devoted to making sure those basic simple needs are met make the biggest difference. We get so heady. We get so lost in all the, all the things we can do. But in the end, we're in this physical vehicle that's essentially an animal and it has those basic animal needs. And when you can meet them, then you feel much more grounded and settled. And it's things like giving yourself space and time. I value space and time so much. Like, do I need to take a nap for the afternoon? Yes. Okay. That's what's happening. Nothing's more important than that. Do I need to have a conversation with someone that I love? Yes. That's what's happening right now. Yeah. And I think that you're really good at this. You're really good at honoring yourself, but it takes practice. I was just same thing. I was just reading something else on somewhere on Instagram that was like how we internalize capitalism. And so much of that is this feeling of like, I'm exhausted, but I need to keep working. Mm -hmm. Or we're just, as a society, we're so um, tuned out of understanding what it is that we need. There's so much fear in falling behind Mm -hmm. by, by giving ourselves a, a break or rest that long-term it ends up wreaking more havoc. But in the moment, it's so difficult for people to, to slow down. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more if you can about just how it is that you do honor um, your body in that way and how, like, does guilt come up for you ever? Mm, Yes. Okay. There's a few things. So I believe that rest is a radical response to the world right now so if you want to say a big fuck you to to capitalism go have a nap (laughs) if you feel rebellious like I often do then like one of the most radical things you can do is give yourself permission to not do and for me it was something that I had to deeply deprogram in my body which happened probably six or seven years ago near the beginning of this business um where I noticed that my response was to go into overdrive when things were hard or when I was stressed or when I was uncertain or feeling fearful instead of softening slowing down and just being with what was coming up and I and so and I see this with clients all the time like the reaction is I just work harder and faster quick then everything will be fine and it's actually an avoidance um what's the word I'm looking for tactic exactly like it's just a way to avoid what's really coming up and happening so making a decision in yourself that you will make rest the most important thing in your life that is going to be the radical act that you can take is huge because it's just profoundly life-changing for yourself and also for the system because the system is built on people being in adrenaline and on fear and like running that um that race or running on that treadmill to keep going, to mm-hmm. keep going. You, we all saw that when suddenly people weren't working and had a lot more time to rest, they became more creative and less money was being made. And the capitalists were like, Oh shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is scary and wonderful all at the same time. But have I felt guilt around it? Yes. And I still sometimes catch myself being like, oh, I really should do this thing. And being and my body being like, no, just don't want to. Nope, don't, can't, feeling overwhelmed. But the brain being like, but I must, because I must prove my worth and my value in the world. And mm. this is what's expected of me. And I need to show people that I'm busy doing things. I can't just look like I'm lazy in bed all the time. That's the narrative, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And catching myself and being like, yes, haha. Like this is the programming. That's not truth. And I get to choose. I get to choose in every moment. Right. Which just simply takes like essentially just just awareness. It's just building all of this stuff. It's it's I know that so many people get frustrated, but really what it is, it's just like continuing to remain aware and committed to yourself, I think, because it's so easy to do the thing that that that, you know, like like you said, it's hard for us to, um, we don't want to address or, or, or sit with our feelings or whatever it is that, that the thing is bringing up. Like what, what does, what does resting bring up for you? Because we all, no matter who you are, unless you were raised off of the grid or something, we've, we were, we were all raised. Anyone, anyone, I mean, I kind of think everyone, cause even still like every single human being who's walking on the planet right now has been raised in a, capitalism driven society, which just simply has made us feel like we need to, um, do more. And, and so we, so almost everyone that I know in some way, uh, struggles with their self-worth being tied to their productivity. Mm-hmm. And, um, especially our parents' generation, um, I think it's getting less and less, but, but ultimately like with any practice, with any spiritual practice, it's just like, Okay, having the awareness, recognizing when you slip up with something and just having the um, like the patience and the love for yourself to because also I think an automatic reaction is to then like uh, when you do mess up, I know this is this is the case for me like i'll 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 be um, in a process of of doing a practice regularly and then I'll slip off and then I can get really hard on myself. Um, so it kind of goes both ways. Um, but yeah, I think that ultimately it's just that practice and it's the same thing. Like people sit down to meditate and they're like, nothing's happening. Mm. You're like, well, it's called a practice because it's a practice. (laughs) I think there's a few things that have to happen as well, which is one is that you have to learn to trust that you doing something isn't going to have the impact that you have. So something that I notice is that often when I go into uh, overdrive and I'm doing things, those things that I'm doing don't actually have the impact or create the results that I want. And that shows me, it proves to me that doing in itself isn't enough. You have to, if you're going to take action, it has to be like in alignment and in truth and, and, and have this focus to it. And it happens with so much more ease and grace than when I'm doing out of, um, fear or because I want to prove that I'm worthy or whatever it is. I think uh, when you learn to trust that not doing is going to create the same results as going into overdrive and just doing for the sake of doing, that makes a big shift in your ability to be able to rest. And the other thing is recognizing that how we use busyness to avoid feeling, feeling whatever it is, if it, if it's like 
yeah, anything that's coming up, we will use busyness to avoid it. And so being willing to actually face yourself and what you are avoiding instead of being busy is huge. And then I have to add one more thing, which is like actually learning how to rest. Like what does that look like to you? Because there's lying on the sofa and thinking a thousand thoughts, which is not restful at all, or it's going outside for a walk and paying attention to the nature around you and letting your central nervous system calm down and be soothed by your environment, which is much more restful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also think that people often, you know, when we talk about this or when we're having kind of a, when there's like a spiritual basis to the conversation, um, that everything needs to be about like meditation and nature. But for me, one of the most restful things I like to do is to watch a movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because it completely, like I completely switch off. Like I go into, I don't know about the different states of the mind. Maybe you do, but um, I mean, I go into a totally different state where everything completely just dissolves and I'm totally focused on, on the movie and it's super joyful for me. Theta mm, state that's called theta state. I wish I could do that. I, I find myself growing. It depends on the movie, but most of the time I feel a little like, oh, this is just not captivating me in the way that I want it to. <laughs> I'm envious of your ability to be able to yeah, really rest with that. Yeah, it's definitely, I'm like very, very particular about what it is that I can take in. It has to be a specific movie. It's like Pride and Prejudice or <laughs> it's um, like Something's Got to Give or these very like gentle movies that make me feel really calm. So I'm definitely not putting on, you know, like some horror film or something. I can't even watch anything, anything like that. But, but point being that it, it looks, it can look different for different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't have to bring that this, whole like for you. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be this thing that we like that also becomes a chore because I think that that it's not like, you know, it's just about, it's just about getting in tune with ourselves and our bodies, which is, which is just not something a majority of humans were ever taught. So, Mm -hmm. um, on that note, I would love to, we, I forgot to ask you this at the beginning or before we even chatted, but had you thought of uh, a woman or someone that you felt like um, whose story we could talk about? You know, who's, who I've been really come, who's really been coming up in my mind and in my thoughts and like just in my field a lot lately is Mary Magdalene. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she is in so many people's fields at the moment. Like she's so heavily in mine. Yeah, um, fascinating, isn't it? The way she's like, hi, you need to learn about me. Yes, yes. And her, um, I've been reading her book, Mary Magdalene Revealed. Have you, so, t- okay, so actually you tell me what, what your, uh, what your relationship is like with her or what's been coming up for you. Okay, so my it's very interesting. I, I'm just getting the book. That's why I moved away. Um, I was first introduced to the concept of Mary Magdalene when someone recommended a book called the Magdalene manuscript to me. And it's the alchemies of Horus and the sex magic of Isis. And basically how she was actually a, a priestess, a high priestess who was able to help Jesus access these higher, levels of consciousness in himself through the intimate act of of lovemaking and I was like wow this is really really interesting and then 
Um, more recently, I've started a book called Anna, Grandmother of Jesus, I think it is. And it tells the story of, of the female lineage, including Ma- Mary Magdalene. Um, so that's, I just find that the whole story and the whole concept and the perspective and the, and the way that it's being approached so incredibly fascinating and touching. And it feels like it resonates in my body in a way that makes so much more sense than any of the Jesus Bible stories ever did. I'm Roman Catholic yeah. by birth because I'm half Italian. I didn't have a choice in that. So I was fed a lot of that information from my grandparents who on both sides who raised me for a large part. And I always remember feeling like something just doesn't feel right here. Something doesn't feel right. And this, this feels really right. And then there's another weird sort of interesting story. So my name is Vienda Maria. And the name Vienda means the coming one. So the full name is the coming Maria. And people would always tease me about it. People who understand my name would be like, aha, you're the next Mary Magdalene. I'm like, what does that even mean? Yeah, it's so interesting. I had a similar, I was raised Catholic as well. And just, she was always presented to me as a prostitute mm-hmm. um, or that's how I always thought of her. And I've been reading Mary Magdalene Revealed and actually Jesus has also been so present for me and all of these kind of figures who I just never resonated with for a majority up until even like last year, I just always struggled with that religious, um, just with the religious aspect of, of, uh, my own experience and how they were presented within um, the kind of Catholic context. And so uh, I think that this, that so many women right now are feeling the presence somehow of Mary Magdalene. And she's the perfect example of, of a woman who's, voice was technically silenced because her gospels were buried and um and who whose story was told incorrectly yes and um and i think that there are so she's kind of channeling herself somehow through so many women right now and um because there is this kind of there's this sense of the return of the feminine and she is the archetype or like that that woman who at least I see as as such a beautiful reflection of that yeah yeah exactly which is just coming through because you know as we know I I oh I feel like I repeat myself in so many of these episodes and just in general in life but just that women have been oppressed for um for so long and it's really been only in the last century that you know, even like Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying and, and, and learning the the um, the laws that she helped pass, which were, you know, only in like the 70s and 80s of women being able to like get a mortgage with without their husbands, stuff like that. You're like, whoa, like yeah. I've been alive since that happened. Mm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So whenever people, you know, there's so many women out there who are like, women are equal to men. And again, it's not about the male versus female thing. It's just like, it's part of this thing that we were talking about before. There's this dismantling of capitalism. There's this dismantling of the patriarchy and the patriarchy isn't, it's not men. It's, it's the, it's the imbalance of, of male power, I suppose, Mm -hmm. um, throughout history, just been dominant for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. 
I have an interesting so, perspective on that, if you don't mind me sharing briefly. Please, I would love that. As if we were to step back and look at it from a much broader perspective, I do believe, I mean, there's definitely imbalance and it definitely has to change. But I also believe that perhaps, you know, I have this inner I'm just, I, yeah, I just believe so much that everything happens for a reason. And so I have this idea that perhaps we had to go so far into the masculine in order to create structure and in order to create systems and processes that we weren't able to have in order to be able to, like, you know how you need a container to be able to flow or you need structure for real creativity? Mm-hmm. I feel like we needed this really masculine, patriarchal way of, living experiencing life so that then we could let go and be more fluid and so there's a symbiotic relationship where we go from one extreme to then from the masculine into the feminine to hopefully find some balance where the containers created through the systems and structures that the masculine has made available to us and now after 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 this has been designed, now we get to dance in it. We get to play in it. We get to really enjoy life. And it's not about hard work anymore. It's not about mm-hmm. um, making life difficult and surviving, but rather thriving and being enlivened and being creative and playful. But we had to learn some really hard lessons along the way. And and this is what we're coming out of. Like, whoa, how, how have we allowed this imbalance to occur for so long and for in such an extreme way and how can we come out of it now in a way that's balanced where where masculine and feminine live together in in harmony and support one another which is the idealistic perspective in my in my point of view yeah yeah I actually love that because it um it feels like a slightly less I think that the perspective that I was bringing in not intentionally but feels um like it falls it, it it sometimes at least I can feel within myself can feel a bit combative and and um again I I suppose it goes it's less about the direct experiences of male versus female it's more about the masculine and the feminine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah I think I think unless there's anything else that you want to add I think that we're we're done I feel really good about this so yeah I'm good <laughs> thank you so much for coming on uh such a pleasure and you're just incredible at pulling out stories and asking questions so it's been such an honor thank you (laughs) thank you i hope you enjoyed this episode with vienda if you want to get in contact with her i have linked her instagram her website and everything in the show notes As always, if you have any feedback for me, if you would like to see someone on season three, if there are topics you want want to see covered, um, please send me a message and I hope that you enjoyed the episode.